You just said different horses for different courses, is that right? Yeah, it's just as I said that, I thought that's most probably a very English saying and you don't know what it means. It's, We're stealing that. Well, in America, we have uh, different strokes for different folks. <laughs> that's, <laughs> the <one. laughs> that's the one. That's the one. Well, hello, listeners to Movies on the Side. This is Stephen Robles. And this is Nate Baranowski. And we are incredibly excited today. We have a special guest, Rowan. He is from, I've already forgotten Rowan. (laughs) I was going to say, I was going to say, from Great Britain. I was going to say the United Kingdom. And I said, no, that's not right. (laughs) This is Rowan. And he is a scenic artist. And he has worked on so many movies. You have an incredible uh, IMDb. And so we're going to talk to Rowan today. And we're so excited for it. Nate, being the artist of the two of us, he he has many questions about the specifics. I do. I do. Right. Big picture, if you could just give our listeners just a brief description of what a scenic artist means in your profession and kind of just what you do in broad scales. Right. Well, traditionally, the scenic artist paints the backings around the, around the edge of a set on a stage. Uh, so that could be anything that could be seen off the set. It could be a landscape or buildings or anything out of the windows. That sort of traditional role is diminished these days because of the use of blue screen and green screen. So just by good luck, I tended to specialize more in the sort of artistic end of stuff, which tends to be murals, tapestries, paintings for the sets and that sort of thing. So that, yeah, that's what I specialize in and do the most of. Wonderful. Could you give us a quick description of how did you get into this career path? Did you always want to be a scenic artist? <laughs> kind of what, what was the journey to where you are now? Yeah, the journey, it was a funny journey. I mean, I went to art school, I studied fine art, and I was an artist and sort of exhibited in London and, and New York after leaving art college. But that was a totally different thing I was doing then. I was doing my own work, and it was sort of abstract, constructed pieces. I had a father-in-law who was a very well-known production designer in the film industry in the UK, made a lot of important films in the 60s. And he just slowly got me to come in and work for him in the art department and do bits of model making. And that was my routine. That was my work way in really through him yeah and i just got drawn into it and you've been doing this for about how long well it came to a point where i suppose i had to make a decision between doing my own artwork and taking the film work seriously and that was that point i suppose was about it's about 25 to 30 years ago now it's a long time yeah and since then i've done it full time just in the film just for the film industry and to give our listeners just a, a taste here your filmography, the movies and TV that you've worked on, it seems to stretch on. You've been a part of The Aeronauts, which we we just reviewed, right. Beauty and the Beast, Harry Potter, big giant movies, Avengers. Hmm. The amount of films that you have been a part of is astounding. And I think you might have one of the only IMDb credits with, with that many credits and no profile image. You're a man of mystery, Rowan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not proud of the way I look. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's somewhat, admittedly, some of the ones on IMDb, you know, it could just be one painting for some films. Some of, some of them, yeah, it's a whole set and it's a big job and months of work. But yeah, some of them are smaller amounts of work. So it does, it does vary from film to film and they all do get listed there. Amazing. What was one of those where you did a, a large majority of the work, whether film or TV? Or something like sort of Life of Pi was made out in Taiwan. So there were no other scenics involved in that. So any scenic work in that it was, was mine. Oh, wow. Now you mentioned Beauty and the Beast. That was a huge production. So a lot of work went into that. Yeah. So films like that, I could be there for sort of 
you know, th- maybe three to five months working on a lot of wow. different sets and doing a lot of different pieces for them. Yeah, those are big ones. Yeah. Rowan, when, when you are working on a movie, are you working by yourself or do you have a team around you or are you part of a, a studio? I've got a woman that's worked with me for about the last sort of 15 years and started out as an assistant. And now we sort of share jobs because, you know, the jobs tend to get bigger these days. So actually we, we work together a lot. She helps me out a lot whenever she can. And then for other jobs, I can sometimes run two jobs at a time. So I have sort of more junior assistants that will start off other work and then I'll come on work on, on the top of what they've done. When you are working on these fine art pieces, I'm thinking specifically of framed pieces. For example, I saw that you did a painting for Assassin's Creed, uh, a very complex oh, yeah. giant crowd, yeah. which feels like a lot of work. That was a lot of work. Yeah, that was a very complicated <laughs> and detailed painting. I'd forgotten that one, but yeah, it was huge. It was a big job. That right? Yeah. Are are you doing all of these? You're doing these away from the set, like off site, and then you're shipping them. Is that how that works? Well, from memory from that, I went and worked on that in Malta on location. But then I think that painting, I'm pretty sure we did back. I think it might have even been reshoots. So that was done That was done in my studio. I think that the canvas was about roughly sort of eight foot by five foot. Anything, you know, rel- small stuff I can fit in my studio. Sure. I do whenever I can. I've got a studio close to where I live. So really, I only go to, off to the locations or the big film stages when I'm yeah needed to do the work there. I think you also did a reproduction of Botticelli's Map of Hell for Inferno. That's right, yeah. yeah. Between those two, I, I think I would have uh, lost all of my patience just <laughs> between those. That was crazy. That was a crazy job because they they wanted then to enlarge sections of oh, it. Oh, man. But the drawing was, was so sort of minute. By the time you enlarged that, you'd have sort of lost all the detail. So I actually had to scale the drawing up quite quite substantially so you could read each individual figure uh yeah again it was it was quite a big job it was it was great fun to do yeah i spent some time looking at at your piece from that movie and how i believe they used it uh in the movie scene as projected on a wall that's right yeah that's right. It was. It's projected. Yeah. yeah really large on the wall. Yeah, I, that's right. I'm very impressed by the the kind of patience. Well, even for all of the the decorative things, I think for the Beauty and the Beast, there were a lot of yeah. floral elements. It was a beautifully designed film. That I mean, that Sarah Greenwood was the designer, and she's an absolutely wonderful production designer. It was it was a great production to work on. That one definitely a great team. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, a lot of it, I just like to say, so much of this is is teamwork. You know, I work with painters and sculptors and a whole, you know, it's a whole team of people coming together, really, to make the things work. So, yeah, oh, man. it's not one person on their own ever. Right, right. So you've done so many pieces of work. Can you remember one or two that were some of your personal favorites, maybe you were most proud of or just had the most fun doing them? I mean, often the, for me, the most fun, I suppose, is it's when you – it's sort of when you see eye to eye with a production designer and when, you know, you can really, you really gel and click and they give you a bit of freedom to, to run with an idea and you've, you know, you're interpreting their vision, but they give you the freedom to run with that. That I just, I get a real buzz off that. I love that. But also for me, you know, great thing about filmmaking is being over countries overseas. Okay. So I have a, a two part question here. The difference between creating fine art that's meant to be seen uh, by the eye versus 
a tapestry that's going in the background of a scene or uh, behind a certain person. How does that change how you create the art? Is there any difference between if you were doing a portrait, uh, just a fine art portrait versus a portrait for a movie? I, mean, I think there is. Uh, yeah. I mean, if it's a straight portrait, I think those are one of the hardest things to do in the film industry because you often get a sort of committee of people, <laughs> everyone with their own vision. And, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult to, to, to get all those ideas together. So that, that I think they're, partic- they're particularly difficult. Um, with something like a tapestry, you're definitely gauging the level of detail for, for what you know can be seen on screen and for the time that you've got available and the budget available. So, yeah, all those factors come in. So you're not, you know, it's very different to doing your own work and being in a studio, definitely. Yeah. This is a very dumb question, but how is how is a tapestry created? Are you, are you painting on fabric or are you actually manipulating fabric for these tapestries? No, they're they're all painted. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're they're all painted and they're painted on a on a particular fabric which I keep very secret that I don't tell oh, anyone about. Very nice. The the fabric is key really for that. Yeah. The fabric's important. They look great, especially I'm a, I'm a big Harry Potter fan for that. Were you working on a team or uh, for that family tree? Yeah, that was quite a big team. So I worked with one other scenic artist and we had about, it's a long time ago now, I'd have thought about three or four junior assistants working with us. Wow. And Harry Potter is a different scale from any other film. The amount of, oh, I bet. of time that you get invo- for that is different from any other production. So that they actually hand wove that fabric. They wanted a particular rib running through it. Wow. So the whole fabric was hand woven specifically to make that cloth. Wow. So yeah, that's, that gives an idea of the sort of level of, of detail that they go to on that film. So when it comes to, so you're painting on the tapestries to make them look real woven tapestries for things like oil paintings or old looking frescoes or uh, chipped away bits of old murals. Are you just manipulating acrylic paint to do all of that in latex or are you actually using the methods of... Your yeah of olden day. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't use proper fresco method. I've never, I've never actually. <laughs> you don't done have that. the time to work on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's emulsion. Uh, it's a specialist emulsion scenic paint that you can get in the UK, and it's usually painted on a sort of what we call a rough plaster wall. So the plasterers do this sort of fantastic rough plaster finish, oh. which just gives life to the brush marks. And then you can do all sorts of tricks, uh, applying chalk and latex and stuff to the wall, wall before I paint on it, which then causes the paint to flake away in areas once I've done my work. So you can age. I can basically paint my work and age it back afterwards to make it look old. All the painters can age it. They're very expert at that. Wow. Yeah, that was my next question is, is do you paint it first and then age it? But you you think about it beforehand and kind of prep the your your canvas yeah definitely definitely you need to you need to take that into so the way that you sort of gauge the colors that you're going to use you need to take in uh to consideration the sort of level of aging you know sometimes they can put like a really quite a strong nicotine wash over it or a wax over it or bitumen even Mm. can get put over it all all types of finishes can go on the top so you need to gauge your color to making allowances for what's going to go on top of it Wow! yeah by the time it gets seen on camera really man that's a whole other world that it just seems that like we as moviegoers 
are so um, <laughs> spoiled, I think, for all the work that goes into it because I look at it and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching something and going, oh, no, that's just like an old temple uh, painting without thinking about all of the work that yeah. you put into it. I look at it and I just want the actors to get out of the way so ah! I can see the sets behind them. <laughs> get your head out of the way. <laughs> uh, this is a random question, but do you ever recall uh, spending a lot of time on a specific piece and then see that in the final movie or show that it was used in just seconds? I did. I remember it. I mean, I think the two classic ones I remember that is one was a film called Children of Men years ago. Yes. Where I did a whole, a whole gallery of Rembrandt self-portraits. There must have been about... 20, I think, Rembrandt self-portraits, right from his very early, earliest right to his last one. Uh, and the whole scene was cut from the film, so yeah, oh. they didn't get seen at all. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's the way it goes. The second one was a, was a I'm Not Good on Marvel, was a Marvel film that came out a couple of years ago. And again, I did a whole set, a crypt, that didn't oh, get seen okay. at all. I'm oh, afraid I can't wow. remember the name of the film. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you boycotted all Marvel. <laughs> 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 well, we recently we recently watched the Aeronauts uh, film for our podcast, and the balloon uh, in that movie is beautiful. Was that a model that you painted and scanned, or how did that process work? No, that was uh, that was you know again working for two brilliant designers though designed that film. So I painted the sort of the the decorative motif that you see around the balloon. That that kind of blue scroll across the. It's like a band. Sure. It's a band that runs around it. Yeah. So I painted that at full scale. Wow. But only a section of it, a repeat section. That was then photographed, um, digitally manipulated by a graphic artist, and then the balloon was made for real. Wow. Uh, by a specialist balloon make, balloon making company and was flown to I think I think three thousand feet altitude I and mean, it was yeah the, you know they flew it like a, it was a proper balloon right wow. and amazingly some of those stunts just so you know some of the the, the main lead woman that some of those yeah. stunts she climbed out of the balloon uh, those are done at altitude those stunts they weren't wow. done on a stage really <laughs> yeah you've painted uh, many different artistic styles over the years do you find any more difficult than others do you prefer any to others i love i mean i really love the dive i think that's the thing i love the, about the job the most is the diversity so i love sort of medieval painting i love indian mm. painting um renaissance frescoes i you know i love contemporary art i love i love it all really i think the thing that i find the hardest most probably most challenging is a really sort of traditional classical sort of 19th century portrait that mm. sort of that sort of level of oil painting is it's it's cha- it's challenging probably you never get the proper time to do it and you're often given sort of slightly wonky photos and they want them in a different <laughs> costume and the lighting isn't great and you know it's, it's like painting with your hands tied really that so i'd say that's the hardest thing to get right to make believable wow. is a portrait yeah now, when, when you're working on these pieces of art, is it usually pretty quick lead time that you have for creating them? Or are you usually given – my assumption is that you're never given as much time as you'd like based <laughs> on just movie production timelines. But, uh, how, yeah, how does that work on your end? Do you say like, hey, in a month we're going to need this? I mean, I normally say what it's going to take me, how long it's going to take me. Okay. And I sort of can normally tell – You know, you have to take in a few factors about things You know, because obviously you're depending on other people. But – yeah, I mean, it's definitely you definitely have to work fast. It's it's you have to cover big areas in in very little time. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that your portfolio is just all of these different artistic styles. You're you're just like a chameleon for whatever is <laughs> is needed. That's that's very impressive. 
Oh, that was very kind. Thank you. Does the the type of movie or show, whether or not you know you actually enjoy that genre of movie or something, does that influence your excitement in working on that film or doing the art for that film? It's really nice to work on something that you know that I want to go and see and enjoy. Yes, yeah, so I did something called The Favorite, which won a lot of awards a few years ago or a year ago maybe, and that was just lovely to work on a project like that. And you think it's something you know original, and the Aeronauts too. Actually, I really mm. enjoyed working on that. Mm. Yeah, I have to be a bit careful about what I say. Some films leave me a bit cold, yeah, but it's, sure. I suppose it's more—it's often more to do with the work that I'm doing on the film than mm. the actual film itself. So sometimes, no, it's not a film I want to go and see, but you know, I've got something really interesting to do on it. Every movie that you have a part in, do you go see that movie in theaters to be like, I'm going to maybe glance at my art? No, I don't go and see ah. that. <laughs> You've done so many of them. How can you? You don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk a little bit about uh, the final portrait. Oh yeah, that was a great one too. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, wonderful! The uh, reproduction of the of James Lord. James the, Lord, yeah. The Giacometti. Giacometti. Yes, I read a Wall Street Journal article talking about how you did so many different stages of completion that's right of that piece can you talk about that process because in the movie jeffrey rush is is playing giacometti and he's he's working on this piece so i'm assuming you have to have uh so many copies that's right yeah yeah so that one i mean actually in the i mean james lord wrote this book about what it was like to be painted by giacometti and at the end of each day that he sat for Giacometti, he took a photo. Admittedly, they, they were not great photos, but they do give an idea of the sort of level of changes um, throughout the, the progress of painting that painting. So, yeah, we constructed for the scenes that were acquired by the director. Um, I, I remember it being, it might, it might have been 10, but it was sort of somewhere between eight and 10 versions of the painting. And then... Some of those I worked on sort of to camera and yeah, some of them Jeffrey Rush sort of added the odd mark to uh, during the shooting. Yeah. So there were a lot of different versions. Amazing. I'm assuming his foundation, uh, was there a lot of back and forth of like, this needs to be, <laughs> this needs to yeah. be like right on it. I, I mean, I wasn't involved in that, but they were, I think they were very, they were very involved, the foundation, definitely. Okay. They definitely came over because we recreated the, or the designer recreated the studio and I sort of did the drawings on the walls, but they definitely came over to look at it. And I, yeah, they were very involved. I mean, definitely working with artists estates, you, you need to be um, very careful and get all the correct permissions. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I read in this article that at the end of this, all of those copies had to be destroyed. Do you remember? Do you remember this? That wouldn't surprise me. I didn't do it myself, <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I'm a I'm a freelance artist by by I don't know by trade by career, <laughs> right. and I I do a lot of uh, 3D chalk art. So I do a lot of ephemeral art that d doesn't stay around. I assume oh, amazing. In, oh, thank you. Because <laughs> these are the ones when you look, you sort of on a pavement so you look at you're looking exactly. down into another world right yeah that's exactly oh, what yeah, i do amazing. is those, those wow. 3d anamorphic uh, illusions yeah rowan makes it sound so cool you're looking down into another world it's, yeah <laughs> i'm gonna put that on my business card now yeah, change your tagline yes uh, i deal with it, a lot of people asking me in my artwork you know does it bother you that this won't last uh as a scenic artist i assume that for the most part are you doing uh, mural work that then gets just recycled into the great machine or does, is the artwork that you create 
can that have lasting power? No, it doesn't have lasting power. It's power. It's just there for the film. I see it as there for the film. You know, everything that's painted on the sets ends up in a skip. Um, occasionally, tapestries sort of reappear from prop houses rented out. It always slightly annoys me. You know, it's oh, no. you know, <laughs> that, that's not what they're for. For my yeah, they're they're there for the film. They're there for the, yeah, to be in the background, and that's it. Is that at all bothersome to you, or is that a no? That's it's fine. No, it's not bothersome. You know, it, it's it it doesn't really bother me. You know, I don't want to elevate. I don't like to sort of elevate it to more than what it is. It's part of the process of making the film and, and creating the sets, and and that's how, that's the sort of that's how, that's my perception of it. And a beautiful, essential part of it. I feel I feel I'm a kindred spirit with your own in, in this. <laughs> well, I have to look at your work too now. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. It's not as good. <laughs> do you have any kids, family, or anything like that? I do. Yeah, I've got two daughters. Two daughters. Pretty pretty grown up now. Twenty three and thirty. That's awesome. And did your career in artistry, did it rub off on them? Did they have any experience with that growing up or maybe gone into that field? Yeah. So my eldest daughter, she did have a go at film and yeah, didn't didn't love working in the art department, mm. but she now has gone off on her own and she's actually designing, yeah, sort of uh, pop promos and music videos and stuff like that. So she's oh, she's in the same world, but in a, on a different sort of stream. Yeah. Awesome. And doing well. The younger one, not so much. She's more science-based. Ah, nice. Yeah. Very good. Getting away yeah. from dad's <laughs> field. <laughs> for, for our listeners, we have quite a few artists that listen to this program just kind of through... Through you. <laughs> I guess through me, you. but... Yeah. One, what would you say to the artists that are listening who either want to pursue either fine art or become a scenic artist full-time? What would you say to them? And what would you say to those who have no experience creating art, uh, maybe appreciate it? What would you say to them when it comes to, like, what would they not know about your job what would surprise them about the career that you've had i just think i think you know if you want to do it you should have a go you know you should do, everyone's got it in them and you do it the only way i've learned I, I was never trained to do what i do i was an abstract painter the only way i've learned it is through looking and looking and looking at, at all the ways that different people make different art around the world and all the different cultures and all the different time zones it's just there's just the most fantastic stuff out there it's a wonderful journey and i think through that you know anyone really if you really stick with it you can you can you can do something great if you're a fine artist in your own white i just think you should stick with that don't don't i wouldn't that would be my one bit of advice if you're a fine artist i wouldn't necessarily get involved in the film industry mm. if you want to get in the film industry that's fine that's a commercial world and it's a great living. But if you're a fine artist and you've your heart's in that, stick with that. You said earlier that with the advent of technology, some of the scenic artistry is, is going away. Mm. I don't know if you heard of the show The Mandalorian. It's the Disney Plus original. Uh, it's Star Wars based. But what's interesting about it is many of the scenes that they filmed were on a soundstage using an LED wall. Right. And it was actually this massive LED wall that created the scenes. And most of it was just shot indoors uh, against that wall. Mm. Do you have any feelings about that versus actual practical artistry? Do you feel like something is lost there going 
going that direction or, or do you feel that the technology is so good and maybe not noticeable? I think it's different horses for different courses. It's, you know, I think it's got a role. Every, all these things have a role and I don't think one of them should necessarily knock the other out. Mm. You know, there was a period a few years ago when everyone was saying, oh, forget about building sets. We can just do it all digitally, right. you know. I think people realize that that is not now the way to do it. Right. Um, and I think all these, they're just different tools in the kit, you know, and mm. they can all come together. I think it would be a terrible shame to lose some of the physical tactile stuff yeah. and turn it all digital personally. Yeah. Cause I love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. You just said different horses for different courses. Is that right? Yeah. It's just, as I said that, I thought that's most probably a very English saying and you don't know what it means. It means different people like different things. We're stealing that. <laughs> well, in America, we have a uh, different strokes for different folks. <laughs> Same thing. That's the one. That's, a, that's, that's the, the American one. version. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for basically creating beautiful artwork that is part of these films. It's really cool to to watch all of these movies. And going forward, we're definitely going to keep an eye on your IMDb page. Uh, to, and I'm going to be a lot more focused on what that painting in that background there. Who is responsible that, for that? That tapestry sort of back there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got the top five. Could you give us, and you don't have to have exactly a top five, but we would love to hear for Americans that are want to travel abroad and, and come mm-hmm. visit your beautiful country, mm. uh, what would right. be some things that either they must see or experience or ways that in general the there's a wonderful difference between America uh, yes, that's good. and Great Britain? <laughs> <laughs> so top five things to see in the UK. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Th- yes. Things yeah. to see or things to experience. Just uh, teach us a little bit. We'll be students here. I'd, I'd, I'd head up to the Lake District and go walking in the fells. We call the hill, hills there the fells. Go up to the Lake District. That's that's would be number one for me. Mm. Ooh, okay. Definitely a night out in London. I'd have thought sure. it would be good. Mm. Yeah. Good good meal and a night out in London. Is there a British dish that we that we need to try as Americans. No, British food has changed. I mean, people <laughs> will tell you to have fish and chips and all the rest of it. No, go, go and eat some modern modern English food. Okay, yeah. okay. Mix over, yeah, something. <laughs> I'd leave the fish and chips behind. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a trip to, you could, if you're in London, you could go up to Hampstead, which is like, it used to be a village in the north of London, very close to where I live. It's an old, old part of London with pubs and walks, and mm. that's a great great place to be i found you had tremendous um uh, indian and bangladesh food oh god i actually went to a bangladesh restaurant yeah in uh, near london and it was exquisite so yeah you can go to east end brick lane and east end is just all all bangladeshi and indian restaurants there and it's it's fantastic food yeah more english than anything else most probably (laughs) (laughs) i remember uh, when i visited we i went to the cotswolds and that was beautiful the Cotswolds is nice. Lake Districts would top it. Yeah. Oh, okay. All <laughs> it's right. further afield, but they, they, it's spectacular there. If you think of anything, you could throw it in. But I, one one other question, kind of a top, well, anyway, this is just related to entertainment. But have you seen the Netflix show The Crown? I have, yeah. How do you feel about it? <laughs> uh, you know, when I started, I just thought, I can't watch this. I just, I, oh. you know, it's all very uptight and I couldn't, oh. I didn't feel like I watched it. But then I got drawn in and I've, I have enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. very good. If you would tell, if you could say. Stephen's on a roll here. Well, Stephen, no, do I need to cut you no, off? No, 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 no. You need to settle Sorry, down. One, one other one. 
I, can, I really enjoy, uh, I don't know if you want to call it British humor or English humor, but you know, like the importance of being earnest, which yeah. I think is actually in your IMDb. Uh, it looks like you did something for that. Uh, I love that kind of humor and stuff. But if someone has not seen British style comedy or film, is there something that you would recommend maybe movie or TV show that an American could watch and, and actually get a good picture <sighs> of the culture over there? That's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Um, you know, these days it's stand-up. Out of thoughts, um, huh. stand-up comedy in the UK is the big thing. Someone like Sarah Pascoe, you'd get, yeah. Interesting. Check out Sarah Pascoe, someone like that. Stand-up comedy, out of thought. That would be my, my cup of tea. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I'm off to see a, a Iamando Yanucci film called David Copperfield tonight. Oh. He's done some funny films too. He did The Death of Stalin, which is oh, that's a funny film. Amazing. Yeah. Interesting. You are working on things that uh, we will not ask you about, and uh, it's all – you're a man of mystery. <laughs> Good luck on the on the future work. We're excited to see what you are working on now, uh, and I assume you're just uh, as prolific as ever, keeping busy. It's a busy and, time. Yeah, okay. It's a busy time, yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Can I promote your website here? Is that something that if people wanted can. to look Absolutely. it up? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. It is rowanharris.co.uk, and Rowan is spelled R-O-H-A-N, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, dot C-O, dot U-K. If you want to go see all of his amazing work and these different beautiful tapestries and portraits and, and scenic art from the movies, I encourage everyone who's listening to go check that out. Thank you, Rowan, for being on, uh, and we'll talk to you some other time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much.